I served the Roman Empire. I fought wars against those who did not believe in our gods. But nothing could prepare me for the truth that has now risen. He was very special. They're fanatics. What was his name? He was called Yeshua. The man's dead. His followers are in hiding. He's been a threat. Take control out there and finish things. The tomb is sealed. Guarded with your life. If this body vanishes, we have a potential messiah. Where has he gone? You tell me. You will track down the corpse of Yeshua. He's right here. Open your heart and see. How many of y'all have seen the movie? Few of y'all. Wow. The rest of y'all, that's y'all's assignment for the day. Um, Amy and I had opportunity to see it the first weekend it came out. Uh, it's a movie that I would uh, recommend to you. Uh, it is the story of a Roman centurion who is uh, given the response, he has the responsibility of overseeing the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus of Nazareth. He is confronted in the movie by the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And then he has to deal with if that is true, then what are the implications? And you know, I show that this morning because I think uh, that's what we need to deal with as we as Christians uh, approach Easter. I had this thought this year that uh, generally we just focus on the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday morning. And my gut sense as a pastor is most of us, there's so much hoopla going on Easter, we're not even getting the message. And we kind of only preach on the, on the resurrection one Sunday a year. And I thought, you know what? It was the one event that was the game changer for the apostles. And it seems like we give so little to it that I thought, you know what? I want us to spend the month of March, these four Sundays, in March uh, talking about uh, the resurrection being confronted by the reality and being changed by the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ I want to look at individual stories this morning in just a few minutes we'll look at the story of Thomas and uh, what I realize is that for each one of us, we need to be confronted personally. 
with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we need to be changed by the implications of that resurrection. For the apostles, it was the resurrection that was the game changer. For the apostles, they, they live with Jesus, they walk with Jesus, and so day by day for three years, they listen to his teaching. In the midst of those three years, they saw his miracles. Even some of them were there the day that he was crucified. But do you realize that none of those events ultimately changed them? It's kind of what I want us to mull on this month. They knew his teaching, they knew his power through his miracles, they even knew his death, maybe even had a sense of its sacrificial nature, but their lives weren't transformed by any of those things. In fact, the game changer for them was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it was through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that everything else that Jesus had said and done got its significance from. I guess I'm just thinking of us. That many times, I guess in a course of 52 Sundays in a year, I'm going to preach on the cross, the death of Jesus, many times, and maybe allude to it in every sermon. But the cross wasn't enough to transform their lives. It took the resurrection and it was that as they experienced, and, and what, what happened with the apostles is they had to personally experience the risen Lord. This was not just something they heard. No, for the apostles, they saw him. They touched him. They had several encounters with him in those 40 days that he was here. And then they saw him ascend to the Father. And when... Ten days later, the risen Lord sent His Spirit upon them. They began to proclaim the message. And as I read the book of Acts, it strikes me that at the very core of the message that the apostles preached, this ought to strike you, was not so much about the death and the crucifixion of Jesus, but it was about the resurrection. They would have said, we are witnesses to the resurrection. I'm sorry. We are witnesses of the, the resurrection. I'm having trouble here. We are, in turn, witnesses to the resurrection. The one thing the disciples proclaim to a world about Jesus Christ is that He was risen from the dead. And that one event, and I would call it an inescapable event that you can't get around. That's, that's the story of the Roman centurion. He just could not get past this event. He could not explain it. And if it was true, then it changed everything. I don't want to give the ending of the movie away. But it comes out pretty good. 
<laughs> it's not like everybody at the end of the movie dies and goes to hell, is what I'm saying, okay? No, it comes out good, even for the centurion. It was the resurrection. That's this inescapable event in human history that was the game changer for the apostles. And they preached that message that Jesus was risen from the dead, that he is the risen Lord. And here it is. This is what God's kind of been speaking to my heart about. Many times on Easter, we celebrate the fact that he is risen. And I think for most of us, that means, like we sing in the song, I serve a, a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he lives. I, I think for us to say that Jesus rose from the dead says that Jesus is alive. And yes, that is true. But for the, the apostles, it was more than that. There is a depth to the Easter message and the resurrection of Jesus that I want to look at in these four Sundays. It is more than that he is alive. And that, that is very significant. I don't... But I don't even know for the disciples if that was even the primary thing that transformed their life. What transformed their life is not only is he alive, but through the resurrection, he is Lord. They always talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Here's the truth that the risen Lord reigns. That's R-I-R-E-I-G-N-S, not reigns. But he sits on the throne and he rules. I think this Easter season, if we can simply be gripped by that one truth, that today, yes, the one who died for us, yes, the one who came back from the dead, But that he, you know what the early church kept saying? And he ascended to the Father and he sits at the right hand of God. What does that denote? It denotes that the Lord Jesus reigns. He is Lord. He is the sovereign one. Do you realize today, right now, that Jesus is at the right hand of God and He reigns, He rules over everything in our world. He dictates events. And through His Spirit, He moves people to be redeemed back to Himself. He is the sovereign one. He is in control. The risen Lord reigns. He rules. He is the sovereign one. It's more than that he is just alive. But for the early church, he is not just risen. He is the risen Lord. And my prayer would be that we would be confronted by that reality. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we would be changed by its implications. I wanted to look at individual stories these four Sundays.
And I want to look at the story, a very particular story, about Thomas. And his story is only told in one place, and that's in John chapter 20. So I want you to turn and look with me at the story of Thomas today. And I want you to see <laughs> his own journey of faith. And generally when we talk about Thomas, we talk about doubting Thomas, right? Uh, and uh, maybe rightfully so. Thomas gets a little bit of a bad rap. But I want you to know that when Thomas believed, he was all in. But he needed to personally see it for himself. But when he saw it for himself, his life was transformed by the reality and the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In John's account, after the crucifixion of Jesus and uh, the women discovering the empty tomb, Jesus appears that first Sunday night to the disciples. This is scripture we're not going to read. I just want you to know where we're picking up from. Uh, there are 12. They're in the upper room. Judas is gone. And what we discover later is that Thomas is also missing. So Jesus appears that first Sunday night to 10 of the apostles. We pick up the story in verse 24. And I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. It says, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. He said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, which would have been they numbered inclusively so it would have been the next Sunday after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said peace to you when he said to Thomas then he said to Thomas reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Thomas, his life was transformed by seeing for himself the resurrected Lord Jesus. In fact, the whole direction of his life was changed. Let's look at the story in verse 24. So it says in verse 24, Now Thomas called the twin. So we don't know who Thomas's twin is, but obviously he has a twin. One of the twelve. Um, and I think John says that in a way. Thomas doesn't have a, 
significant uh, presence in the stories that are told in the gospel. But Thomas is one of the twelve. And I guess I want you to understand with that, that Thomas had been one of those that Jesus had called. And so Thomas had walked with Jesus and had listened to his teaching. He had seen the miracles. Uh, We have to, well, obviously he's in the upper room where they take uh, the Passover meal, the Last Supper. Um, Thomas had to be there when um, they were hiding in that room and the report would have come and they would have gone to the Garden of Gethsemane and they would have arrested Jesus, taken him away, tried him. Thomas would have known that Jesus had died. And in fact, Thomas possibly would have known even when the women came back and said he has risen from the dead. I don't know that. And where Thomas is during some of this time, I don't know. But Thomas would have known all those things. And I guess I go back to that point that I said earlier, that all of those things, the teaching and the miracles and the crucifixion of Jesus, did not change Thomas. In fact, there's something very significant in the story that uh, if you were making up this story as a myth, you would not write it this way because the disciples are skeptics. Even though Jesus, and we'll look at this one of these Sundays, that Jesus had told them, uh, I know of at least four occasions, where Jesus began to tell the disciples, now listen, the days are coming, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I will be arrested, they will, they will put me to death, but know that on the third day I will rise again. Jesus had told them these things. Thomas surely had been there for that. Um... But what we see in the Gospels is that until the disciples saw the Lord Jesus resurrected and didn't just hear about it, but they saw him for themselves, it was at that point that their lives were changed. And so it was for Thomas. So Thomas had experienced all of that, but as it says in verse 24, he was not with them when Jesus personally appeared to them the first Sunday night. Notice in verse 25 that the other disciples told him. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. In fact, this is the beginning point of the proclamation of the gospel, of what the the early apostles would preach that the Lord Jesus is risen from the dead. These are men that Thomas would have trusted that had lived with. I don't know. I don't know what in Thomas's mind he went. No, I, I, I just don't believe it you, from you guys. No, I don't. I don't know what y'all are. I was about to say smoking, but that wouldn't be appropriate, would it? Anyhow, you know, I don't know what y'all are on. I don't know what's going on, uh, but uh, I, I, I don't believe it. In fact, that's what Thomas says. Unless I personally see it and I can put my hand in the where the nails have gone in and the spear have gone in, I'm not going to believe. Um, but in essence, the apostles began to preach to the one of the other apostles. To They proclaimed with their mouth, He has risen from the dead. But Thomas did not believe. Um, verse 26, it says, After eight days, His disciples were again inside. They're inside a room. And Thomas was with them this time. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in in the midst and said, Peace to you. 
I think there's a reason Jesus appears again this time. And we're going to see it in the next verse. There's one person when Jesus gets into the room that he turns to and he says, Thomas. Already seen the rest of you boys. Thomas, I haven't seen you. And Jesus has something he wants to tell him on that occasion. There's something else, though, this month we really have to understand because I think many times in the Christian church we do not understand uh, the depth, the significance of the resurrection. And this is one of those verses that helps us understand when we talk about the resurrection what the Bible is teaching us. The Bible is not simply teaching us in the resurrection that Jesus came back alive. And I think most of the times that's the way we take the resurrection. Jesus was dead, he came back to life. And he did. No, but it's, it's different than that. Uh, days before this, Jesus uh, raised a man from the dead by the name of Lazarus. The difference is Raz Lazarus was raised in his same body and at some point, maybe years after that, Lazarus died again. They took his body, they would have put it in a grave and it rotted there, just to be real blunt. But the Bible says that Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, that his body was transformed. This is something we've really got to get in our brains. Uh, we're going to look at it one of these weeks, but in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is going to say, uh, Paul is going to say that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. So here it is. If you can get this in your brain, that Jesus did not just come back to life, but when he came back to life, his body was transformed into his heavenly body. That's the only way I can put it. Uh, maybe like the body of an angel. How do we know that? Because on this occasion, and actually on the first occasion, Jesus, the doors being shut, came into the room. Okay, he didn't use the door. It didn't say he came through the window. What is the implication? He passed through the door or the wall and he stood there in their midst. Well, how can he do that? Well, he can't have a body like yours and mine. Except, almost on every occasion in which Jesus appears with his, the apostles, he eats something. Do you know why he eats something? I think it's described in one of the Gospels. He wants them to know he's not just a spirit, a ghost. So one extreme was that Jesus rose spiritually and he was a spirit and they saw some kind of manifestation of his spirit. Jesus said, no, give me something to eat. The other thing is he was raised from the dead and he came back in a body like ours. But that's also not true. He couldn't have passed through walls. John puts it this way. He says, we do not know what we will be someday, but we know that we will be like him. And so I'm thinking today if the Apostle John didn't know what those heavenly bodies were going to look like, then your preacher's not going to know either, okay? I don't know. Other than it is, this is the way I would describe it. It is a heavenly body. And the significance is when Jesus was raised from the dead, his body was transformed into his heavenly body so that he could eat, but he could pass through walls. They could touch him. And that someday, 40 days later, as they watched, he lifted up into heaven. 
He did not get to heaven by his body dying and his spirit going to heaven. But Jesus was already fit for heaven. He ascended and he is in that body today. He is the first fruits. So what, I know this is kind of a sidetrack, but what is he going to do? Some, so what happens to me when I die? Well, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My spirit goes immediately into the presence of God. But my body goes to the grave. And the scripture says, as it came from the dust, it shall return to the dust. But the spirit will return to God who gave it. <gasps> That's not what happened to Jesus. There is no body. The tomb is empty. Someday, when the Father says, now, <laughs> Jesus, the right hand of the Father, is coming to get his own. And when he comes, he will come. First Thessalonians with a shout, the cry of an archangel. And the dead in Christ will be raised. What will happen in that moment? Our spiritual beings will come back with Jesus, those who have already died, and our bodies that are in the grave will be transformed into our heavenly bodies and our, those heavenly bodies being resurrected and our spirits will join together and then we will be lifted up into the clouds and we will always be with the Lord, is what the scripture says. We will then have our heavenly bodies. So there is a time for those who have already died that they are in a spiritual body of some sort in heaven but it is not the ultimate body the only one who has their ultimately ultimately ultimate heavenly body is jesus he is the first fruits of the resurrection is that clear i can spend longer time I and mean, we have until one or two o'clock today or is that clear Oh, yeah, Brother Ronnie going, no, that's clear, Brother Darrell. No, no, move on to the next point. My point being that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was transformed into his heavenly body that could pass through walls but could also eat. And we see that in verse 26. In verse 27, <laughs> Then Jesus said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it on my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Do you understand what just happened in that moment? When Jesus showed up, it was like, I've got an appointment with one person. There's one of you that was not here the last time. And, and here's the thing. Who told Jesus that Thomas had said these things? How did Jesus even know that Thomas was not believing in his heart? Nobody told him he is Lord. He knows all things. He sees all things. He can even look into our hearts. And so not only does he know the conversation that has happened the Sunday previously and what Thomas has said, even though he was not there, but he also can look into Thomas's heart and says, you have an unbelieving heart. You know, I can observe a lot of things, but one of the things I've determined as a pastor is I don't really ever know someone's heart because I can't look. I'm not God. I know that's shocking to some of y'all. Some of you, not so much. Uh, Jesus knew the conversation, and he knew Thomas's heart, and he came to prove himself to Thomas. And there's a reason we'll see. Notice there is an immediate 
profession of faith. It says in verse 28, And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas professed that Jesus is Lord. It is, I don't I got to thinking about this. In fact, there is, there is something much deeper than even what I'm going to talk about today that we focus so much on Jesus being Savior and we focus so little on Jesus being Lord. The profession of faith of the early church was never Jesus is Savior. It was always Jesus is Lord. And I guess that is implied that yes, He died for our sins and yes, they would say that. But the significance today, my profession of faith hinges upon my saying that Jesus is Lord. Their lives were transformed, not so much by the cross, the teaching, the miracles of Jesus, but by the resurrection. It was the game changer. It was the linchpin. It was the one thing that if it hadn't happened, everything else falls apart. But if it had happened, then everything falls into place. And that's what happens instantaneously in Thomas's mind when he saw Jesus and he knew genuinely, truly, sincerely that he had been raised from the dead. That changes everything. You are my Lord and you are my God. And the same must be true for each one of us. It changed Thomas's life. Thomas is one of those that would have been there in the upper room on the day of Pentecost with the 120 that when the Spirit came, the Spirit came and they broke began to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Thomas would have spent his life living that out. We don't, we don't have that in the Scriptures, but this is what church history tells us. That when almost everyone either stayed in Jerusalem or went west, Thomas was the one apostle that went east. which meant he went all the way to India. Thomas is the apostle to India, is what church history records. He established a church in India. In fact, there are places in India today that you can go that trace their beginning to the apostle Thomas coming to that place. Do you realize what I've said to you is that Thomas is not only a witness of the resurrection, he was a witness to the resurrection. One of the reasons we know that uh, the apostles genuinely believed and had had a true experience is because they were willing to give their lives for the one simple truth that Jesus has risen from the dead and today he is Lord. In fact, they were willing to give their lives. In fact, we know of Thomas in the midst of his missionary journeys, Thomas was killed by being thrust through with a sword, or a spear, and he died in India. He gave his life. You say, wow, why would somebody do that? Because there is a greater reality. Let me say this as we're kind of zeroing in on the point this morning. We find ourselves as, an, as Americans right now in the midst of a political season. 
I'll be honest with you, sometimes the pastor may be a little consumed with the political season that we find ourselves in in America. And you know what God said to my heart today? He said, tell the people, you better be careful if you're looking for your source of life and answers in another human being. I don't care who gets elected and who resides on Pennsylvania Avenue and becomes, as we would say, the leader of the free world. I don't care because there is someone that sits on a throne that is far above that throne. And let me tell you, Christians, you better be careful. Daryl Smith, we better be careful when we say, oh, here's the one who's going to bring us hope and prosperity and the answers is going to fix all of our stuff. <laughs> he doesn't sit on the throne. I don't, he or she doesn't sit on the throne. Oh, he's, he or she sits on a, may sit on a, a human throne. But the early church was transformed by the fact that not only Jesus was risen, but he is Lord and he sits at the right hand of God and he dictates all the circumstances of our life. He rules, he reigns. Word to the wise. Saul of Tarsus would have known of the teaching of Jesus, of the miracles of Jesus. Saul of Tarsus as a Pharisee that was in Jerusalem some would have even known of the crucifixion of Jesus. Saul of Tarsus would have even heard the rumors that this relig religious rabbi fanatic was also reported to have been raised from the dead. Saul of Tarsus did everything he could do to stop that movement. I almost think subconsciously Saul of Tarsus was struggling with the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. If that is true, it changes everything. And here's the thing. If your heart is not ready to submit to the one who sits on the throne, then you'll do everything in your mind to dismiss that he really sits on the throne. In fact, it's a little even... Uh, it's, uh, it's almost easier for us to talk about Jesus dying on the cross because that doesn't really call for anything from my life. But once Jesus is sitting on the throne, then life can only have meaning and purpose when my life lines up and submits to the risen Lord who reigns. I think somehow in a spiritual realm, Saul of Tarsus was struggling with all of this. In fact, what the book of Acts tells us is that one day in his attempt to so squash that movement, he was on his way to the city in the north, Damascus. And there about noon, as they traveled down the road, a great light shone and they all fell down. And a voice came from the light and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul of Tarsus, I mean, there were, there were other men there, but there was only one name that was called, and that was Saul. I mean, Jesus was showing up for one person. 
Saul of Tarsus said, Who are you, Lord? And the voice came back, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Why are you kicking against the goads, the prick that they move the cattle with? Saul of Tarsus, knowing the teaching, the miracles, the crucifixion, and even the rumored resurrection of Jesus, his life was never transformed until he encountered on the road to Damascus the risen Lord. There's a story in the first chapter of Acts when they talk about replacing the 12th spot that Judas was in. There was a qualification. He must be a man that has gone from the very beginning, the baptism of John, until now. And it has to be a man who was a witness to the resurrected Lord. The apostles had to be ones who had personally seen Jesus. You couldn't be, a, you couldn't be an apostle. Well, let me, I don't, I don't want to say, that. well, yeah. There are no apostles today, regardless of what some churches may say. Because the apostle is an eyewitness to the resurrected Lord. And we understand the 11. Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul, fits in that category because he encountered the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus, and his life completely changes. Not because of the teaching, the miracles, or the crucifixion of Jesus. Not even by the rumors of the, of the empty tomb. But by a personal encounter, he was confronted by the reality of the risen Lord. Paul goes everywhere and proclaims this message. Years later, he writes back to the Philippian church. In our Bible, it's in chapter 2. He's talking about Jesus and he says, Being in the form of man who coming in the form of man, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then this is what Saul of Tarsus turned into the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus everything that's in heaven under heaven and on earth and under the earth might proclaim that Jesus is Lord every knee should bow got that out of order but anyhow I got a little caught up in the scripture recitation therefore God hath highly exalted him given the name which is above every name that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father even years after that and this is our theme verse for these four weeks in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, this is what Saul of Tarsus turned Apostle Paul says. That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus 
Or some translations would say, if, we can, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. I'm struck by that verse. It's not generally what we preach. We would generally say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior and believe in your heart that He died on the cross for your sins, you will be saved. <laughs> it's not what Saul of Tarsus turned Apostle Paul said. He said that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, the one thing that changed everything that was the game changer, that changed the disciples into apostles, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What I want you to hear this whole month is that the risen Lord reigns. We can only experience life as our lives line up and submit to the Lord who is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's not what we generally talk about at Easter time. But that's what the early apostles preached. You read the book of Acts. They preached about the resurrection of Jesus. He is Lord. I don't know, maybe you can take or leave a Savior. But if you're talking about the day... The person today that reigns over this universe, I'm going to have to do something about that. Actually, what the Bible says is not only is he our Savior, someday he will be our judge. Do you know why Jesus is the judge? He sits at the right hand of the Father. He is Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me pray. Father, today I would pray that our lives would be changed, transformed by the truth of the Apostles' message. Father, we would even be those who have not seen, yet we believe that we respond to the message of the Apostles that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he calls us to submit our lives to him. And so, Father, today I pray that that message would grip our hearts. In this Easter season, we would be changed. We would come to the place of living moment by moment and day by day. An acknowledgement of the risen Savior, the risen Lord who reigns. So, Father, we give this time to you. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts. And we pray it all in Jesus' name.